next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications that are relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. As always, I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. And as we customarily do, let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. You know, Patrick, I think I need to change my name to Nanook of Central Texas. <laughs> hey, it's a primer to get some work up there on the shelf, you know. We'll get you some mucklucks and uh, and a pet seal, and you're ready to go. I'm talking. Yeah, let me tell you, this is the second time in as many weeks I have been uh, unable to get to the flight search research center. So it's been quite a surprising for this Texan to have to go through a winter. I, I, I don't know what that's like, but uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to getting back in the saddle again, so to speak. I know. Well, we have been on a hiatus, but it's been, uh, I don't think it's because there's lack of content out there in Radioland. Um, it's been, um, <laughs> I would uh, say it's almost been wheels off for the last, <laughs> since the last podcast. Um, I mean, uh, personal appearances, uh, yes. Drone TV, uh, we were at the AMA Expo, there was a lot of good stuff there, there's going to be, um, we're going to do, a, there's a Drone TV episode coming out about that with some, some great footage from uh, the FAA workshop, um, we just, uh, an, another episode just dropped with Gene Robinson, uh, we talked more about search and rescue, another one's coming up, uh, Gene's been very busy flying for NIST. And we're going to do an episode on that. Maybe you could give us a, a rundown on on the burn there, Gene. Absolutely. We did some fantastic fire research here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, went out to Bastrop, Texas, uh, to Camp Swift, which is a military installation out there. And we set up uh, three prescribed burns with sensors, and we had 75 scientists on the ground and 25 firefighters and we uh, launched the Superbat and had the Superbat in the air for four hours. Uh, this was, of course, under TFR. And uh, got some astounding data, both uh, video, well, I say both. It was in many different ways that we got it. We got video in IR. We've got video in standard EO. We've got still imagery, high-resolution still imagery, my favorite, uh, multispectral wind sensors all over the ground and it was just a phenomenal success just total success and everybody was very excited just after the first burn so uh we're really making some good progress there and, and getting really excited but now that we've you know we've practiced for two years and we're finally out doing the science and it's looking like everything has paid off in spades well, um, I hear uh, from, uh, you know, the editor of the program that the, it's some phenomenal footage for the Drone TV episode. And if people, that's that's another thing. We put up a page for the Drone TV. It's dronetvnetwork.com, dronetvnetwork.com. You should go over there and check out that latest episode. It's pretty good. And then the following episodes or forthcoming episodes, I hear the burn one is going to be excellent. And I'm looking forward to that. I look forward every time uh, to to these new episodes. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on the, the news real quick. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened since we've been on hiatus. The, the test yes. sites were announced, which yes. that's going to be – We'll have to do a whole other show on test sites, um, pushback of the NPRM till November. Um, there were a few other announcements that came out that um, 
that need to be discussed, but I think we could do a whole show on on oh, those yeah. topics. Lots of stuff in the news. Um, there's been uh, more articles that I've been in and stuff that's been written. I also noticed that a lot of people must have been on vacation the same time we were on the hiatus because I've actually been uh, putting out other stories that I've written uh, in, in later in December, like the how the U.S. fell so behind on the airspace integration effort, and that people have gone nuts on that one again. Um, Got a couple more in the works about how, you know, the the UAS business got skyjacked here in the United States. That ought to be another uh, friend maker. Um, (laughs) You know, and then I know that uh, there's other been uh, other news things going on with you. Did you want to discuss those real quick, Gene? Well, you know, it's been one of the things that we've been contacted by many, many news outlets that are wanting to do positive use stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's gotten really crazy that the the pendulum seems to be taking that, that swing the other way because people are, media is finally getting the message. They're starting to learn that, you know, we want to see some positive use out of these guys. And, you know, like you say, it, it, during the hiatus, I mean, there's been more stories come out and, and more things pop up that we should be reporting on, but we're so busy trying to keep up with it all. It's very difficult to get the time to be able to, to explain it and hash it out and parse it so that it's understandable. It's just been incredible. It, it has been, and I, I totally agree to, with you. Uh, people are now – the face of this industry – has been the DOD thing, which has been our total detriment for so many years. Not that the DOD thing doesn't have its place. Okay, it does have its place, but there are very uh, there are a lot of negative connotations. A couple things I want to clear up, and this is something that I, I the drum that I keep beating. People keep saying this is military technology, military technology, military technology, and I'm calling BS on that. You know, you have to, and one of the news stories today in in uh, in the news was about cloud seeding with unmanned aircraft, which is is a this is a throwback story to two thousand and three, um, with when I had lunch with Dr. McCready from Aerovironment, and it's actually pretty funny. We touched on a lot of different subjects, but uh, he was worked with a scientist that also did cloud seeding operations in the early days. And I said, oh, you know, okay, well, we talked about cloud seeding. My dad's an environmentalist, uh, environmental consultant, and uh, some of the havoc that's been wreaked with that. And I said, well, what did you think about uh, unmanned, or what do you think about this cloud seeding? He said, they're madmen. They're nuts. These people were totally crazy. And then it's kind of funny as, you know, hey, we're going to cloud seed with drones, you know, kind of a funny, funny thing. But Dr. McCready, you know, was a avid RC modeler, uh, also an aviation buff, and he had also won um, awards for free flight RC models. And that whole aerovironment line came out of the RC hobby world, the remote control hobby world. Aerosond, Aerosond came out of the hobby world. The airframe was built by a a company that did, you know, remote control gliders. Scan Eagle came, you know, most of the parts that came out of that were were RC hobby parts, and that was also a um, system for commercial use, fine fish, Aerosond, do science. So when people go, oh, this is military technology and we're, we're finally turning it around, I'm calling horse poo on that. A lot of the systems that are out there, a lot of what's out there now, K-1 
came out of the hobby world and people were using that. And I think we should accentuate that, get away from the missiles, get away from the air superiority, Greg, because it's done irreparable harm to this um, industry. And what it has created, in, in my mind, and the people that I talk to, is it's, it's, I call it like droneism, where people make yeah. blanket statements out of ignorance about this technology. Um, and it's well, one, of, one, one of the things that, uh, that military spec, mil spec gave us was the $800 hammer. And exactly. obviously you don't get that out of uh, you know, the, the, the offerings that are coming up today. They're certainly not as hardened, and they, they may not be GI proof, but uh, you know, they're out there, and, and they're, they're certainly not military grade or military specification. No, but uh, just to, you know, flashing on that $800 hammer, that's what we're staring to bar- down the barrel of in the regulation department. The Indeed. people that are forefront of the regulation and the standards are military DOD people. I can't stress that enough. So when the regs come out and you're dealing with, uh, you know, standards that get you the $800 hammer, that's where it came from. So... You know, things to think about, um, you know, as we move forward, definitely people are starting to think of like, hey, you know, uh, wait a minute here. There's this like whole thriving uh, community. I just did a, a, a interview for Blomberg yesterday and a gentleman is like, hmm, uh, kind of it doesn't really look like the FAA has got a handle on this. They got a tiger by the tail. And I said, ah, bingo, you know, um, he's he's not the only guy. That that's starting to come around to this. That this thing is totally taken off, and the FAA is many years behind the curve, and doesn't seem to understand the problem. And I was like, well, you know, that's why they got the sharpest guys in the DC bureau, right there. But anyway, since we're short, I want to bring on our guest, and our guest is the director of the Unmanned Aerial Systems Workforce Development and Corporate Services, Dr. Andrew Shepard. Um, Andrew, could you please introduce yourself to the audience with a little bio and how you got involved with uh, unmanned aircraft systems? Sure, and uh, thanks for uh, having me on your show. It's a, it's a great honor to be on here. Um, so a little bit of my background, um, I've, I've been involved in aviation for my whole life. My parents were pilots, and I got my, uh, my pilot's license when I was 17, so it was always a narrative interest for me, and I, I stayed with it as I moved into, uh, originally I went into the defense industry, and so you're, you were talking about um, some of that technology, and you're right, a lot of what we were using there was uh, uh, leveraged out of the civilian world, and it was technology it was a lot of times caught and off the shelf, and one of the things that I, I helped work on was um, uh, an aircraft mission planning software that was for uh, uh, manned or unmanned aircraft, and worked uh, in that industry for a while, and I came back to uh, Sinclair Community College now as, as the director for UAS. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a great experience. Um, I, I run the uh, not-for-credit side of the program. We also have the uh, for-credit side, and I uh, enjoy adjunct instructing on that side. Um, supported uh, Embry-Riddle uh, Aeronautical University and some course development and, and adjunct instructing for them as well. But, again, my primary job is, is as a director, and uh, so uh, we, have, we have a great program. I'll be happy to share with that with you today. All right. Well, and, and, you know, I hope it didn't come off like we were deriding the uh, DOD side of the, you know, I mean, it has its place. And, you know, there's definitely, um, 
I mean, you know, any way you look at this thing, I tell people, you know, some people, oh, well, you know, this, this technology, as sure as I'm standing here now or sitting here now, this is the future of aviation. And I really don't care what anybody says. This is it. And so whatever, whatever, of course, there's going to be military, there's going to be civilian, and there's going to be, and we need to train all of those people. Um, mm-hmm. for, for this oncoming technology. And the other thing is that it, what really excites me about this technology is the promise that it holds for the country, for yeah. humankind. Um, this technology holds the promise to, you know, and I'm sure you see it, I'm preaching to the choir, you guys here. I've got to convince Gene, because Gene's still doubting. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> I know. Come on, Gene, really, you know, no. Uh, uh, so, you know, this, this is great. And I think it's great that you guys are doing this. So, you know, let's um, maybe, you know, you, you kind of touched on a little bit of what's going on over there at uh, Sinclair. And, you know, you guys have been in the news and we've carried some of the stories about you. Maybe you could tell us about uh, what's kind of currently going on over at uh, Sinclair. Sure. So uh, for anyone that's not familiar, Sinclair is a, a community college. It's actually the oldest continuously operating community college in the country, um, started in 1887, and uh, we're in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, so it's uh, not really, you can't really find a better place in terms of uh, aviation heritage, in my opinion, but uh, I'm biased. But um, so a few years ago, uh, Sinclair uh, leadership came out and said, you know, given our, our heritage, our economic um, uh, abilities in the area of manufacturing sensors, that type of technology, um, and, and our defense ties, they wanted to look and see what we could do with unmanned aerial systems. And so uh, really our vision was it's a partnership model um, with our region, uh, the state of Ohio, the, the broader Midwest, and, and the country, really. Um, and so uh, over the last couple of years, um, Sinclair has made uh, quite a sizable internal strategic investment um, in terms of capital um, that that culminated in a, a large investment in May of 2013, and uh, that put us into into phase two of our program, which is um, you know we're out of we call it phase uh, two uh, partly because it's easier to fa- fund us something called phase two, uh, but uh, realistically we had a lot of a lot of information you know already developed. Uh, we had a large aviation technology program that we were leveraging, and um, so. Uh, today, we, we have three main uh, areas of focus in our program. We have uh, uh, aerospace, uh, which is you know the airspace in Wilmington and Springfield. Those are class delta airspaces. Uh, we have um, six COAs, three at each of those uh, for platforms. I'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, we have uh, the curriculum piece, which is both for credit and not for credit. And then we have our modeling and simulation piece. And kind of imagine those as, as three legs of a stool, and, and they're all supporting the, the broader UAS training and certification center. So uh, as I mentioned with the, with the COAs, um, we have three platforms. Uh, one, uh, the early one was called the, uh, the Spear. Uh, we have two of those uh, aircraft, and they were actually manufactured locally here in, in the Dayton area. Um, bought those probably about four years ago now. Uh, then we have the, uh, the Vireo, which is now uh, manufactured by a company called uh, uh, Fourth Wing. Uh, formerly, it was with United Technologies Corporation. And then uh, we have our... Uh, our Nova Block 3, which is a, a, a nine-foot wingspan geospatial mapping platform uh, built by a company called Octavian out of Florida. Uh, and our, our most recent uh, purchase is, is going to be uh, the uh, uh, VTOL called an Indigo from Lockheed Martin. So uh, with those, we can do uh, platform-specific training. Uh, we've done sensor integration test flights with multispectral uh, sensors, um, high-definition uh, video, 
um, uh, in addition to the, the normal student training that you would expect as part of our integrated programs, um, data collections with our geospatial partner called Wolfert. Um, so a lot going on there, uh, mobile ground control uh, GCS. Um, and uh, I, I know we're going to talk a, a few seconds here about the curriculum, but uh, I'll, I'll touch on the modeling and sim piece. Um, we have uh, a 10-seat a uh, modeling simulation lab uh, that uses um, L3 sensor simulators. Um, and that was the first time that those systems have been used in a commercial application. So we have a partnership mm -hmm. through uh, AFRL, and that allows us to uh, customize the code and do a lot of human performance type research that we're planning to start here in the spring. So. Well, it sounds like you, you guys have some stuff going on over there. A couple yeah. of a yeah, couple of things to you know whittle away the time there. Yeah, we're we're pretty busy. It's it's actually a lot of fun. I'm sure it is. And uh, so you guys are sim doing the uh, training for the uh, MX series of uh, EOIR sensors. Yeah. So uh, as part of as part of the training uh, on the platforms, uh, you know, when the when the students come in, um, you know, we do the platform training, and then we also train them on the sensors that are on board the platforms. Um, we also have a sensors course that's part of the academic program, so students can get a good handle on what they what they're capable of, how you interface them with the platforms, and, and that type of thing. So, um, but you know, we actually had the first uh, multispectral sensor test flight on the Vireo platform uh, at Springfield, so that was. That was exciting to get that data pulled down. And you do any uh, distance learning? Because I think I could, I could lick that uh, <laughs> the sensor class. Sure. Or the, yeah, we, know, uh, we definitely do. Two of them. Oh, you do. Huh? Right, yeah. Check that out. Yeah, we, we definitely uh, we we have uh, we we've started transitioning some of our uh, not for credit classes uh, online, and that was partly due to just demand. We, we had students actually moving moving in from, we had one move to Dayton from Staten Island in New York to take classes, and we have students traveling in from all over the country to take uh, different uh, short courses, and so they were asking if we could get some of them put online. So we're actually running um, two sections of a class about the COA application development process right now uh, online here in January, and uh, that's been going very well. So they, they actually get to go through a lot of the process of developing the the required uh, documentation and materials and get some feedback on, on uh, what you might need to improve. If you ever need anyone to, like, you know, uh, say no, Gene is very, um, he's very experienced in that. Gene, can you think you could help him out with that one? Well... Anyway, so, okay, well, it sounds like there's a lot going on there, but, um, you know, I, I will say uh, when the test site selections came out and were announced, uh, there, were, there were brows raised that uh, Dayton, Ohio was not listed as one of the test sites. You, do you care to talk about the test site selection? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we, had, uh, we had high hopes and being uh, able to move forward as one of the selected sites, but um, you know, as a region, you know, we still have all the same strengths that we had uh, before, and uh, we've actually, um, you know, had a, had a contingency plan. You know, it's always good to have that backup plan, and uh, we have uh, really strong leadership here in the state with the Dayton Development Coalition, who spearheaded a lot of the organizational efforts, and um, in our governor's office with uh, Governor Kasich and. Um, so, you know, we've, we've actually had uh, an increase in um, student interest uh, and partnership opportunities and, and all that just since a decision has been made. 
Um, I think a lot of people were, were waiting to see what the result was, and now that there is a result, um, you know, it, it feels like people are more willing to move forward and make some decisions. And um, you know, we've even gotten a few calls from uh, um, people in the test site states that were selected, asking if we'd like to partner with them and collaborate on their test site work. So um, you know, I think we're really optimistic moving forward, and, and I think we're in a great position. Sure, and you know, I mean, I I don't know. Um, some of that may be, uh, you know, the funding issue is a big issue for people. Um, you know, some of the concerns that were brought up to me. I'm working on an article when I when I sleep. I'm working on this, but uh, <laughs> you know, these test sites, uh, let's say infrastructure and money to stand them up. Finding mm-hmm. the qualified people, paying the mm-hmm. qualified people uh, to to kind of get these things rolling is not going to be cheap. Um, nope. The other thing that I I had kind of noticed from my experience, and I was in on two of the different test site uh, efforts, kind of, and uh, I, I think people were, you know, we want to fly everything here, and I don't think that they were really understanding what the infrastructure would kind of cost to fly predators and global hawks. Um, sure. So you know it's going to depend, and then uh, and then the other concern I had on the back end of that was if the overhead's too high, how are you going to have small commercial guys come out there and afford um, to play? So all of that right. I think still needs to be worked out. That's supposed to sunset in five years, so it wasn't that wasn't something that kicked in, and then you know you were you were going to ride that one in for thirty years. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It'll be interesting to see if we even uh, get everything set up and get the data prior to the September of 2015. But but interesting insight from uh, from your side. So you guys are just gonna you're gonna kind of march ahead with what you've got and partner with people and, and, and try and keep the ball rolling. Then. Yes, def- definitely. And uh, you know we we've got um, plans in the works. You know we already have our uh, short-term technical certificate on the on the academic side, and we're going to be expanding the focus areas of that to address um, precision agriculture, um, another certificate on geospatial, and then a third on first responders. And those will kind of tear up into a uh, a two-year associates program. And uh, we're working articulations for the students on those. And uh, you know from from the airspace access issue, um, you know now that we know the test site results. Uh, we're getting ready to submit several new COA applications at additional sites and new platforms. And so, you know, from, from our perspective, we're, we're just rolling, rolling on along. And, and part of it really goes to, to outreach and, and, and uh, engaging the next generation coming in. I mean, as a community college, that's part of what we're mandated to do. And so we've been happy to support things like the, the Real World Design Challenge um, this year. For It's focused on precision agriculture in UAS. And, we helped uh, Ember Riddle with the development of that content and, and with the ongoing competition. So just getting getting the kids excited about it, getting them interested in this type of program as a potential career field at all is is uh, as big of a part of what we do as anything. Right. Well, and, and you know, you touched on that, and I want to touch on the, the technical certificate a little bit more. But also, let me just ask you from your own experience, I've noticed kind of, uh, I want to call it the drone bug, and you get these, mm-hmm. these younger people exposed to this technology and they're just like oh my god this, I, this is you know yeah. and they're just like run off and and that that's it you know they, they're just mm-hmm. they're unmanned aircraft guys are you uh are you witnessing any of that over there 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Dayton's always been a big tech town, uh, and um, yeah, I went to speak at actually a middle school about um, careers in, in STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math, and I had a call the next day from one of the sixth graders' mothers saying that he wanted to come to Sinclair and take classes. And uh, so we, we were looking at some options for him. I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't risk your college transcript in sixth grade. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, so we're looking at some not-for-credit options for him just to kind of, you know, whet his appetite a little bit. But, you know, we host competitions around here uh, for, for unmanned systems, uh, man, you know, air and ground. Um, and and uh, there's a lot of great, great opportunities for the students to, to be involved uh, before they even get to college. And, um, great internship opportunities for high school and, and college students, um, you know, through, through our partners here in the region. So, you know, luckily, um, when they get that bug, they've got somewhere that they can go. You know, they've got those yeah. opportunities to participate. So. Sure, sure beats smoking cigarettes behind the bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh, you can have a good time out there, too. It's not very uh, not good for the career. But anyway, um, let's talk about the technical certificate program a little bit more. You touched on that, and there's more in the pipe. You know, what, if you could, could you give us kind of a nutshell with that, what we're doing there? Sure. So uh, the, the current short-term technical certificate, it's, it's um, a range of 21 to 25 semester hours, depending on which classes you pick as your options. But... Um, you know, it kind of assumes that you come in with no aviation or unmanned system background. So obviously there's the obligatory introduction type class. Uh, but, you know, we cover things like the private pilot ground school and these uh, DAC circuits, uh, meteorology, um, standards, regs, and law related to unmanned systems, um, communications, uh, crew resource management, maintenance, avionics, um, sensors focus, um, new modeling and simulation uh, using a program called Systems Toolkit. Uh, which allows you to visualize and, and plan um, UAS uh, data collection flights. And then you've got a, a capstone or an internship that's required for all the students. And so we, we place them at um, you know, either uh, companies near the base or, or uh, not. Um, they, they don't have to be defense-related, but a lot of them around here are. Uh, and uh, they get to actually go in and, and work on a UAS-related project. That's uh, um, you know, it's a great experience for them. So. Uh, you know, that was our foundational certificate, and then, like I say, we're, we're looking at shorter-term uh, certificates that are 9 to 15 semester hours that will be more focused, uh, and then we'll have that all kind of feed up into a two-year degree in the, in the next year or so. That sounds very exciting. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to move to Dayton and do it myself. And, uh, oh, we'd love to have you. It's a little cold, uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, I might have to wait till summertime. You know, it's it's t-shirt weather out here in California. A little overcast today, but it's been nice. Um, okay, well, and and uh, you know, we're 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 almost at the three minute warning, but uh, you have some one day courses, and maybe you can uh, you can talk about that. Sure. So uh, we have a, a not for credit workforce development side, and that's really for people that need a, either a faster spin up than you would want to take out over a, a semester length course, or they're people that are employed in industry, and so. Topics we, we cover there are, you know, again, intro. We have a precision agriculture for UAS course. Uh, we have a geospatial information for UAS, um, current standards and regs. We have a U.S. law on that side as well. We, we have a class called COA Smart, which was that aerospace access course that I mentioned, and uh, that one also is offered online. And uh, we also just added an airworthiness course, uh, which is, uh, as we've seen, kind of been a lacking component in a lot of programs. And uh, in, the, in March here, we're adding a uh, first responder leadership course. So it's focused on the decision-making process of how you would apply UAS as a leader in, 
and first responder community. So um, those, those have been uh, successful and, and we're, we're happy to see the enrollment actually, as I mentioned, increasing uh, as the test sites were announced. Again, I think people just realized at least some decision was made. So um, a lot, lot of good, lot of good uh, in, interest here in the state. Yeah, an excellent uh, subject matter. Um, so are, are any of these one-day courses out in the field? Uh, yeah, so uh, we, they don't have to be here at Sinclair. Uh, we, we can travel uh, to customer sites. Um, since they're not for credit, they can be really run anywhere in the country or in the world. Um, I, we've, we've even gotten calls with, with people asking, you know, hey, can you go to the Dominican Republic and, and run a course on precision ag? And, you know, so some of those are, are just, uh, you know, asking the question, but the fact that we're coming up on their radar is, is nice. And, um, you know, and, and then again, putting more of them online makes them a lot more flexible for people that, that can't take classes during the day or, or have us travel to their location. So. Sure, sure. Gene, you want to, I, I, you know, I kind of ran with the ball here. Any comments? <laughs> no problem. No problem. I think what they're doing is, Andrew, is, is fantastic. A lot of your one-day courses, I think, there's a lot of folks that need to go through. Uh, obviously, the one that uh, particularly intrigues me is your first responder course. And I think you get that sort of thing out into the, the general public, I think we're going to get a lot better understanding of what UAS can do. Yeah, I that, definitely. I think it's all perception. You know, I mean, people need to understand that there are all these benefits. And it's and like you said earlier, it's not all military applications. So it's, it's all getting the perception correct and everybody on board. Well, and, yep. and you know, the thing is, is when, and when you do get it out there and you, you know, talk to people that are anti, you say, hey, uh, we, we want to talk about feeding a hungry world. Who doesn't want to feed a hungry world? Let's see your hands. You know, no hands go up. So, uh, you know, it's incumbent upon us in the community to get out there and show people that we have other uh, aims. But anyway, we're, we're out of time in our new half-hour format. And, um, Andrew, I want to thank you for coming on. It was very informative, sounds very exciting, and I look forward to reading stories about Sinclair Community College in the future. Well, thank you very much, Patrick and, uh, and, and Gene. All right, well, good luck with that, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again in the future. Yeah, looking forward to it.